0: So good to see all of you here this morning. Roberto Di Vincenzo was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and he was a professional golfer several decades ago. Very, he was quite successful, actually, and he was also a very generous man. And he had just won a tournament, And the people were swarming around him. He had received the trophy, and he was walking away. And then this young woman came out of the crowd, and she said, Roberto, uh, she said, "I I know that you've just had a good winning today. Could you help my family? I have a young daughter that is dying with leukemia, and we really need some help. And bystanders said that he reached into his pocket, pulled out his wallet, and this was in the days when you had cash on hand. It wasn't just a little card. And they said that he gave her a very significant gift. But then just a short while later, his assistant came to him and said, Roberto, uh, That woman doesn't have a child dying of leukemia. And Roberto looked at him and paused for a moment, and then he said, that's the best news I've had all day. Now, the reason I tell you this story, there are three reasons, actually. First of all, I want you to see the example of a man who is generous and has a generous spirit because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But And we noted that it's just not talking about the tithes and the offerings that we give to the church, but generosity is a lifestyle. It's in all aspects of our lives. And I also want you to see that sometimes we will be exploited when we have a lifestyle of generosity. And, but the Bible said, freely you have received and freely give. So I would rather be, you know, exploited sometimes than not be generous at all. And then the point I want to get across today is that while we're to be generous, we're also to practice discernment. And it's not an excuse for us to not be generous. You can be generous, but you need to be wise servants, wise stewards of that money. So 2 Corinthians, actually, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians first chapter 3. When we were with you, we gave you this rule. Anyone who refuses to work should not eat. Now, there's just one example of discernment. If someone won't work and they have the capability to work, but they just don't want to put the effort into it, then if we support that individual, in essence, we're supporting their laziness. Thus, it's so much more for us than just releasing something from our hand, but it's using planning and it's using discernment. So now we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we left off last week. And you'll remember that the Apostle Paul is going from... Actually, community to community, town to town, church to church throughout the Roman Empire. And he is collecting an offering for the Christians back in the church in Jerusalem. They have been undergoing tremendous persecution from the Romans. And they have also been experiencing a famine. So many have lost their lives. Many have lost their livelihoods. It's just in a horrible situation. And so Paul's going to the other churches in the Roman Region hoping to raise some money to take back and share with the spiritual mother church in Jerusalem. Now, the Macedonian church was one that he went to, and they are doing very well in generosity. However, the church in Corinth, they're struggling to give the way they should be. So when he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul used the Macedonians as motivation. Now, have you ever experienced that with your parents and siblings? Maybe an older sibling had better marks than you did, or they were doing better in something else. Why can't you be like your brother or your sister? For me, it was the... The other way around. Why can't you be like your younger brother? He, he was better athletically. He made a lot more money. He's a stockbroker, not a preacher. And, and then he had higher marks in school. And I had golf over him. I was beating him in golf up until I was 18 and he was 17. And there were rumors, "Uh, I think your brother James is a little better than you are. No. So we had a head-to-head match. I shot 86. And if you know golf, 71 is 15 shots better. And so that settled it for the next 20 years. But then I started getting a little better, and he didn't play as much, so he started to get a little worse. And we were on Prince Edward Island for summer vacation, staying with my mom and dad at the farm. James and I golfed, and I beat him. And I came back to the farm, and I figured, My mother's going to be one person that's going to be excited about this. Mom, I beat James today. And there's no way to go, Greg. You've been trying to do this for 20 years. It was poor James. He doesn't get to golf as much as he used to. It was all about him. But So Paul is showing us that... He has no hesitation. He has no embarrassment in asking these people to give. He never thought of saying, I hate to even talk to you about this. I hate to talk to you about some kind of donation. He understands that generosity is at the base of Christianity. It is the heart of our spiritual condition. But the Corinthians, they weren't doing their part. They'd made a promise, and they weren't fulfilling that promise. So in today's text, Paul is encouraging them to finish their work, basically. He's telling them, you need to properly administer generosity in the church. So here are three responsibilities for church leaders in administering generosity. First of all, we see these guys were enthusiastic about their financial responsibility. So we're in chapter 8, verse 16. But thank God... He has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed a request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. So Titus was a companion of Paul on his journeys, and he was enthusiastic about this opportunity to go to the Macedonians and the Corinthians and share that appeal and collect that money and take that money back to the hurting Christians in Jerusalem. And Christian leaders are to be enthusiastic about their appeal and what they share as well. But it's not always easy to do. I know a lot of pastors that wimp out when it comes to speaking about giving. Oh, people will just think I'm asking for a bigger salary if I do that. My brother's pastor gets my brother to speak on giving every time he wants the topic covered. And there's another thing. My brother's now preaching too. And, and there's one more, you might be watching this in PEI. Um, I've always been the go-to guy for all the weddings in the family. I've. Probably had 30 weddings over the years and and funerals I'm the guy but my brother now has his uh, marriage commissioners license and he performed the last family wedding that we had together but there's no uh, it, I'm, it was nice to sit back I'm not complaining now yeah, was I talking about? oh yeah so I've been in the ministry for four decades, and talking about money is one of the most difficult topics for a lot of reasons. You don't want to be put in the same category as TV preachers that are always asking for money. And there are other motives that come into play. Someone that is an alcoholic, they don't want you talking about the harm of alcohol. Someone who's dealing with an eating disorder, they don't want to be told how they should eat better. Someone who's having an affair doesn't want to be told about faithfulness and no generation struggles as much as ours does with uh, materialism. So as Christians, we don't want to hear about generosity because it hits too close to home. But we have a responsibility to preach what the whole Bible says. And we discovered that generosity is a spiritual subject and it can actually bless the church I actually copied down Chuck Swindle's list of ten reasons why giving is more blessed than receiving. Giving encourages unselfishness in ourselves. Giving brings others relief and encouragement. It forces us out of our own tight radius world. It keeps us from becoming too attached to things. Giving models the life that Jesus lived giving results in an eternal reward. It teaches the value of servanthood. It makes us more cheerful, caring people. It prompts greater sensitivity toward others. And giving provides an example for others to follow. So Titus was enthusiastic about sharing the need of the Jerusalem church because he knew of the positive benefits this was going to have upon these people. And if you really believe it's going to benefit someone, then you shouldn't shy away away from sharing what that benefit is. I'm enthusiastic about making room for more because I can see the positive benefits. Now, those of you that weren't here last week won't know what I'm talking about, but this is a three-year campaign for us to raise the funds to actually build a 60 by 60 extension, not officially an extension, but it will be in the parking lot eight feet away from this building and then joined by two walkways on this level and the basement level, and we're calling it making room for more, which is what we badly need to do. But I can see hundreds of people being able to have the opportunity to come know Jesus. I see parents taking their children downstairs to this secure children's ministry area and being able to take them to classrooms that have all kinds of space. I can see teenagers that are going to be in this new hall slash entryway that we will have and see them here on Wednesday nights. I'm going to see the extra bodies that will be able to fit into our worship center. And also be able to fit into the welcome area. But we're not doing that just because we want to have a cool building. Because I'm going to be honest... I know this is going to mean more work for our pastoral staff, and, and and I'm excited about it, but I'm also petrified, on the other hand, because of the responsibilities it's going to bring to us. And it would be easy for us to just promote staying the way we are, and I would know almost everybody's name. We're at that point where I just can't keep everybody straight, but we're getting cl- not close. And But we could do that, but that isn't what God has called us to do. He has called us to reach out in an even greater way, to make necessary changes to our property that would facilitate that growth. So God needs all of us on board, and we need to kind of get out of the way and let God do his work. The second responsibility of the church leaders is that they appointed trusted leaders for the oversight of the funds. So verse 18 We are sending with him the brother who is praised by all the churches because of his service in preaching the good news. So Paul was concerned with details of handling this gift and doing it with integrity. So he selected someone who was responsible, someone who was known by the people, who was trusted and praised and understood by the church. And churches have a responsibility to maintain integrity and safety and privacy as well. And we can't be careless in matters of the church. So our board of trustees have worked very hard to make certain that everything is done properly. Our bookkeeper, when she counts the offering from the offering box each week, always has another person there with her counting that. We have two signatures on every check. Whenever there's a deposit or a withdrawal done electronically, there's always a second person that has to sign off on that before it can happen. And the church leaders must have regular communication with the church. And when you read verses 16 to 24, Paul is basically explaining what he's doing, how he's collecting the offering, how he's going to take care of it. And here we are in verse 21. We are trying hard to do what the Lord accepts as right and also what people think is right. So we'll be forming a follow-up team for this Making Room for More campaign. And that team will keep regular communication flowing over the three years in which we're giving to this project. And it will be in regards to how your gifts are being used and how we are doing in fulfilling our commitments that we've made. But then we see the responsibilities of the people or the church, and there's to be an eagerness to assist in this designated cause. So this was an offering, a special offering for the financial hurting people in Jerusalem. I really do not need to write you about this help for God's people I know you want to help. I have been bragging about this to the people in Macedonia, telling them that you in southern Greece have been ready to give since last year, and your desire to give has made most of them ready to give also. So I want you to catch something here because last week Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he used the example of the Macedonians and how eager they were to give in spite of the fact that they were living in poverty themselves. And now this week he, he turns that around and he says to the Corinthians, I've been bragging to the Macedonians about you. So Paul works it both ways. Corinthians for the Macedonians, Macedonians for the Corinthians because they're to be an eagerness to be involved, whatever the ministry happens to be. And there are two keys to the act of giving as it deals with Christians. And First of all, it's good for us to be involved in causes outside the church It's good for you to be generous people in all areas of your life However, we must practice spiritual discernment and if your heart is easily pricked by a cause then you That's good But you have to make certain that you do this with discernment because you might get drawn up in things that aren't good causes I used to struggle with this in my early years not with the church's money, but with my own money. Uh, Tony Valentine, nobody knows the name, strikes horror in me till this day. But uh, I was just coming, this was probably 30 years ago, I was coming out of the Canadian Bible Society, and this guy approaches me, he kind of had me cornered, and he said, I'm Tony Valentine, I'm from Vancouver, I've been trying to find a job here for weeks. I'm walking around, my feet are sore, I can't do it anymore. I hear there are jobs on PEI, picking potatoes. Could you get me over there? Well, when he said PEI and picking potatoes, something snapped within me. And and I knew there were jobs over there. So I said, okay, I'm going to help someone, really help them. So I I took him over to the bus stop. And they, or bus station, and got a non refundable ticket because I was afraid. Give him the ticket, then he turns around and gets a refund and then goes and gets booze with it. And then he said, Well, what good's this? I'll get over there and I have no money to stay in a hostel or to buy food. So I said, Okay, I didn't have anything on me. So we went to a banking machine. And the first bank we were at, my card wouldn't work. So we go to another bank and then Tony gets down on his knees praying oh Lord Father bring money from this machine so I said I kicked him out because he was driving me nuts and then everybody else that was coming in I'm here with the reverend I, oh boy so I, I got my money out and $60 went a lot further back then so this was enough money to get him three nights in that hostel and then have food for those three days I gave him the money and then dropped him off at the Salvation Army. The next morning, I get a phone call with Tony Valentine. I got robbed last night. Can you give me some money to get over to PEI again? And I just, I knew what he, he had sold the ticket. I realized then it was a little slow at the time. Sold the ticket for a little less than the $40 and, and then said the money was stolen. So he got a hang up on that one. The next morning he calls and He says, I got a woman here that that will vouch for me that I wasn't lying. So she comes on, and she is just stoned. Hi, I hear you helped Tony. Could you help me too? But there was no, Tony's a wonderful, upstanding citizen. Plunk. And then the next morning, church phone rings again. Didn't have any of the display stuff to be able to ignore the calls. And... I just want to go home. Can you buy me a plane ticket to Vancouver? Well, no. And then he gives it one more try. Can you just get me to Montreal? And I realized from that point on, giving money to strangers, it it, it just doesn't work. And I, I learned my lesson in a big way. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul said, remember this. The person who plants a little will have a small harvest, but the person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Churches are to help those in need, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in monetary ways. Uh, One of the men's group, I was leading we did things like some construction projects for single moms that didn't have enough money to do it themselves We did work around the yard for people like that We helped I don't know how many different people move and as Christians we can help someone grocery shop We can give transportation we can help around the house personal support and encouragement are just as important as financial support And in the city of Joppa, there was a follower named Tabitha, whose Greek name was Dorcas. And she was always doing good deeds and kind acts. And then we read later on about the Roman centurion Cornelius, and he was known to be a generous person. He and his family, they were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. The second key to giving is that the tithe should be channeled through the local church. There are a lot of different ministries, amazing ministries and missions that we're involved in, but When we look through scriptures historically, it begins with the tithe. And you may ask, now, what is the tithe? Is that just some name that churches have come up with? But it actually goes all the way back to prior to the time of Moses. And it was giving a tenth of our earnings back to God. And then God would bless that 90% to go, it seems, even further than the hundred would have in the first place. And Abraham, he, in Genesis 14, brought a tithe of what he had to the priest Melchizedek. And then in Malachi 3, the prophet said, Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn, so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord All-Powerful. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. So here are three reasons why we think the tithe should be channeled through the local church. According to scripture... Paul says that this actually stirs up action in others. It's an inspiration. It lets you know what Christians around you are doing, and you can be collectively involved in something. And then it's proof of our love for Jesus Christ. It's not just our ability to be generous, but it's asking, why are we generous? And we do this to be a testimony to the world in verse 11 Paul said you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God and then the, the final thing that this uh, uh, giving a tithe through the church does it acknowledges the oversight of spiritual leaders as back in acts 4 there were no needy people among them From time to time, those who owned fields or houses sold them, brought the money, and gave it to the apostles. Then the money was given to anyone who needed it. And this was at the beginning of the church, and we wonder why they did it that way. Couldn't the person have just sold their property and then given the money directly to the individual? Why go through the church? But I think the church can check out the validity of the needs, and then it's also not, an ego thing. It's not me helping that person, but it's we, as a church, helping that individual. And our gifts combined together, they actually they glorify God. And then here's the second responsibility of the church: we are to be prepared for special opportunities, and a generous gift should follow prayerful thought but I am sending the brothers to you so that our bragging about you in this will not be empty words. I want you to be ready as I said you would be. So special opportunities, special gifts, that that can be responding to needs around the world. There's been a tsunami in Asia, or maybe there's been a hurricane in Haiti, and and we respond by helping meet that need. And we as a church have done that on numerous occasions. But we are embarking on a special journey together. And like any journey, uh, there's nervousness. Did I pack everything I needed? Uh, Did we take care of the newspaper? Did we get the mail stopped? Uh, There may even be feelings of, uh, maybe I don't even want to go on this trip and I should just stay home. It's nice and safe. While others can't wait to get going and, and see new places. Making room for more is not about us. It's about expanding this building, not for our comfort, but actually we'll become a little uncomfortable because we are going to have a bigger role to play as we disciple more people for Jesus Christ. Jesus never talked about safety. He talked about taking chances for him. Now, there are quite a few of you here today that weren't here last week, and we showed this video of what is basically a rendition of what we think this will look like if everything works out for us. So I'll guide you through So this is the old basement, taking the nursery out and making this the check-in area around that carrying post. And then everything else will stay as is in the basement. There will be a bathroom added to one room so the nursery can be there. And then this is going out to where the parking lot would be into the new section. Three classrooms along the left. And that's the junk room there, the door. There's no glass on that so you can't see into the storage. And then uh, th- three more classrooms down the right-hand side, and there'll be a media room and a green room secure off to the back right-hand corner. And then now we're going into the new big group room for the kids. So it will be a huge room where everybody will be able to fit in. The School-age kids will uh, be in the new section, and preschool kids will be over in the old section, closer to where the bathrooms are. Here in a moment, so this is a, a, a rendering of what the outside would look like. And so Ross Manube has done a really good job on preparing this for us. So now we're coming at it from the the street. It's not C behind there. There are houses that are concerned about, what are you doing in your parking lot? Is it a high-rise apartment building? So then we're using the front entrance that we have right now, taking out a wall, adding some offices on the right-hand side so we don't have to share uh, with kids downstairs. And bathrooms straight ahead, so that's where the platform is. And then there's a kitchen off to the right of the bathrooms. And now we're swinging back and going going through into the worship center. Now last week, it's not new to most of you, but people clapped when they got in here. They were excited. (laughs) (laughs) Baptistry, off to the left. And then I always kept saying, Who are these people? But that is Alberto Gomez, I'm sure, the black beard and the the suit. That's the closest I can come to one of the people in the church. But this will seat 255 people on the main floor. And then there's going to be a balcony, which will seat 70. And, and so that will get us a, a good number more seats than we have now. It's not really, if we money was no issue, if finding land was no issue, we would go a, a lot bigger than that. But this will get us the three years, and then we can look at planting another church or having another campus out of Halifax Christian Church. But the key in all of this is why we're doing this, not the what we're doing. And we're going to need to raise somewhere in the area of $2 million. And there are going to be some ways that we can save some money uh, doing some of the contracting ourselves and some of the work ourselves. And I've got some friends that I'm hoping I can bring in and, and, and do some work at a discount. So, but this is the what we're aiming for that's our target and we're asking all of you to be in prayer about this campaign so we have created the making room for more prayer list and I want you to pick one of these up at the door we will have them there and take that and put it on your refrigerator or somewhere where you can see each of these items and please pray for them each day And if you weren't here last week, please also pick up one of the brochures. You missed out on that opportunity as well. And pray about your contribution and the fact that you will be able to give above and beyond your regular giving to the church. And I'm asking you to prayerfully consider making the most generous gift or contribution you ever have to Christian matters like this, to give that to making room for more. So we're going to be building to uh, November 5th, which will be Commitment Sunday. And I don't want to catch you off guard then, but we will be passing out these commitment cards. And I'm not going to explain it today. I'll explain it next Sunday, all the different parts of it and what you do with it. But I just want a heads up, because we've done things before and surprised people and then they're not ready. I even handed some things out at the end of the worship service. I had the ushers do it, and one woman had fallen asleep And she woke up, and this piece of paper was on her lap. Who did this? What's this doing here? So I don't want you guys to be upset on November 5th. And we keep saying we all can't give the same amount because we've all been blessed in different ways by God, but we can all give equally in that we can all take part and, and participate in this. Now, I want to conclude with three keys to generosity and planning. And if you're a new believer or just starting out on this generosity journey, then please pay close attention. Begin to tithe from the start. We've been uh, doing this with our kids right from the beginning. Uh, Allowance was $3. It would be $1 to the church. Well, that was more than 10%. One dollar to the church, one dollar to savings, and then a dollar to spend. And a dollar went a lot further back then, remember. But our kids are just incredible even today in this way. And then this is a tough one for today, but get out of debt. And we need to have a plan to do that. We can't get into unnecessary debt that's not a house or a vehicle. And then the third key is that we shouldn't make this more difficult than it is. And we need to live within our means. So that might mean that we put some things off. It might be some discipline or some patience. My wife and I, when we were married by her, Her dad, he didn't do our premarital counseling, but his associate pastor did. And he taught us, he said, you need to set aside 10% for God, then 10% in savings, and then live off the rest. Now, in early years as a pastor, there was no saving the 10%, but we kept faithful on those others. And there are many things you can do with wealth and giving, but nothing is more precious than the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that's why we want to give you the rare opportunity to be involved in making room for more. One last scripture from Romans 10. As the scripture says, anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in him. And before they can believe in him, they must hear about him. And for them to hear about the Lord, someone must tell them. And before someone can tell, excuse me, go and tell them, that person must be sent. It is written, how beautiful is the person who comes to bring good news. The person who spoke at my graduation from Bible college used that passage. We have to go. We have to be the ones to tell people can't hear unless someone tells and Jesus in Revelation said listen I'm standing and knocking at the door of your heart and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in So the reason we're involved in making room for more is that we want to open our walls, open our doors wider and wider so that more people can come to know Jesus Christ. Because there are a lot of people that are struggling with mistakes. They're living in misery in their lives. They need to find that key to their heart, which is Jesus Christ. And we're going to allow God to do what he needs to do in order to open the doors of love even wider, so that people who don't feel accepted will feel accepted and welcome, and then Jesus will be able to come into their lives.